Tonight, a new reward in a murder from the 90s. The crime shocked the city 20 years ago today, and it haunts the detectives still working the Second Avenue Deli cold case. It was a cold Monday in New York City on the Lower East Side. I received a call that the owner of the Second Avenue Deli had been shot. That was in 1996. Now, two decades later, investigators James Piccioni and Jeff Salter are still working this case. Mr. Lieberwald was able to open the side door. He fell into the street. It was a killing that stunned New York. Abe Lieberwald was known as the mayor of Second Avenue and loved by all. He fed both high society and the homeless at his famous deli. It feels like it was yesterday. Abe was Jack Lieberwald's brother. I just felt something that put in my stomach that it was something seriously wrong, something serious had happened. Lieberwald was making his daily run to the bank in the store's van when he was robbed of more than $10,000 and brutally gunned down. I called the deli and the woman who answered the phone was crying. Daughter Sharon Lieberwald. Seeing people around there crying, then it hit me that something terrible happened. The gun that killed Lieberwald was recovered three days later along the 96th Street transverse in Central Park. It was linked to a double homicide in Elmsford several months earlier. The NYPD also released a sketch of one suspect. Beyond that, there are few new clues. There is, however, a major incentive for anyone with information. The family's offering an extremely generous reward of $150,000. We wanted to make a statement to tell people there's a lot of money here for you. Just call it in and um, we will follow up with it. Detective Geneva Elutis from Manhattan South says no detail will be overlooked. The smallest thing, whether people out there think, people in the neighborhood think it's relevant or not, um, may lead to the $150,000 reward. The family and the detectives, uh, detectives that is, say they will never give up looking for Lieberwald's killer. They're asking anyone with information to call Crime Stoppers. The following true crime story is indirectly connected to the Second Avenue Delhi case. It's 1996 in Buffalo, New York. A middle-aged man and his elderly father are working in their antique shop. A man walks into the shop and starts inquiring about if they have any antique watches. The middle-aged proprietor starts to show the man some items when he hears the bell in the door jingle, signaling that they have more customers. He turns to the people walking in the door to tell them he will be right with them. And to his shock, they are wearing ski masks and they're pointing guns at him. He's immediately frightened, but in a selfless act of a shop owner worrying about his customer first, turns to the man who was asking about the watches and says, watch out, they have guns. The customer just looks at him, produces a pistol, and says, don't move. Over the next several hours, the three robbers duct tape the owner and his father to chairs, and after pulling a truck up outside the shop, proceed to steal everything of value in the store. The owner is thinking of all the years of putting together his antique collection, his life's work, and the stress of seeing his father tied up not knowing if they are going to kill them or not. He's finally relieved when they exit the shop and drive off in the truck. The Buffalo, New York police arrive, but the perpetrators are long gone. 
1996, I was working the 9th Precinct Detective Squad in the East Village of New York City. I'm still a police officer, but I have been temporarily assigned as an investigator at the request of Lieutenant Artie Monahan, commanding officer of the 9th Squad. There has been a spike in homicides and shootings in the precinct, and Lieutenant Monahan has asked other members of the squad and supervisors in the 9th Precinct Patrol for advice and assistance in picking a street cop who knows many of the regular criminals in the area and has a good reputation as an active and experienced police officer. There are many cops in the Fighting Ninth Precinct who fit that bill, but I was lucky enough to be picked and moved from my plainclothes anti-street crime assignment to the detective squad. It's a quiet Sunday morning. The few detectives that are in and myself are having breakfast and just catching up on any possible reports of crime from the night before. The door to the squad opens and two men walk into the squad room. We are here to see Detective Wigdor. I respond, Detective Wigdor is off today. How can I help you? A middle-aged man says, he told us that you found our stuff, our property. We caught the first flight this morning. What property, I ask? What is this all about? The two gentlemen then start telling a story of their antique store being robbed in Buffalo, New York, and that Detective Wigdor had called them and said that their property was recovered. Buffalo is around 400 miles from the East Village, so I ask for more details to understand what is going on. Detective Butch Bava, who was present in the squad room that morning, but is actually assigned to the 2nd Avenue Delhi case, overhears the conversation and joins the three of us. After listening to their story, he pulls me aside and explains to me what's probably happening. The 2nd Avenue Delhi detectives had gotten a tip that there was a robbery crew hanging out in the area, and they had been conducting an investigation on them in the hope that they were involved in the death of Abe Liebowal. They were just possible suspects, but every possible lead in the Delhi case was being fully investigated. Butchie Bava tells me that the 2nd Avenue Delhi team and the Manhattan South Narcotics Squad had executed a search warrant in the Stuyvesant Town apartment complex and had arrested some of the crew. They recovered drugs, guns, and what appeared to be stolen property in the apartment. They also seized a vintage Chevy Camaro as evidence. There were also others from the crew who I believed were stopped and questioned, but not arrested. Butch tells me that during the search warrant, they found some paperwork connected to an antique store on the Upper East Side. The antique store could be a fencing location. A fence is a police or crime slang for a person who purchases stolen property from other criminals in order to resell it. Butch and I drive with the two men from Buffalo up to the Upper East Side of Manhattan to check out the shop. Once at the location, which is located in a two-level type of mall on 2nd Avenue with small shops, we speak to the worker who claims the boss is not in yet. I take the two gentlemen into the hallway where there are some couches and chairs and have them sit and relax. They are very stressed from the whole situation. Butch is still questioning the employee. The mall is very empty, but then I see a male in his 40s or 50s coming down the steps from the street level to the lower level where we were. He looks like a rough-around-the-edges type character and has a toothpick in his mouth for some reason. He looks at me and doesn't give me a second glance, but then looks at my two victims and a look of surprise and shock comes over his face. 
He turns around and starts heading towards the stairs. I yell out, hey, Butch, come here, quick. Butch comes out of the shop and I say, that guy is acting suspicious, and I point to him. Butch yells out, hey, and says, stop. The guy starts moving faster, and Butch says, Scotty, get him. I run after him and grab him on the stairs. Butch catches up quickly and says, hey, what are you doing here? The guy has nothing to say, so we call a patrol car to bring him down to the 9th precinct for questioning, and we drive the victims back. Butch explains to me that this suspect is a member of that robbery crew that the Delhi team has been investigating. He must be involved in this Buffalo antique store robbery. I say, okay, let me walk these victims up to the diner on the corner for some breakfast before we start questioning him. I set up the two gentlemen from Buffalo with a window table at the Cooper Diner, which is on the corner of 2nd Avenue and East 5th Street. Coincidentally, with a view of the NatWest Bank where Abe Lieberwald was killed earlier that year. I tell the manager to take care of them and that the police department will handle the bill. Now I'm back in the squad room and Butch tells me to go pick up a guy who may have some more knowledge about this crew. I leave the precinct, pick up this individual and drive back to the station house. I am back and sitting in the detective vehicle directly in front of the precinct talking to this guy who says he knows this crew. Just then I see Richie Antonacci, also known to the guys in the squad as The Notch. Richie is a veteran detective in the 9th squad, was also a cop in the 9th as well. He is walking with a big guy but holding him by the arm. The guy is complaining, saying, I didn't do anything. Why are you bringing me in? Give me a break. I didn't do anything. The guy I am with ducks down in the car and says, oh crap, that's one of them. That's I am like, what the heck is going on here? I have some uniform cops drive this guy back to where I picked him up from, and I run inside to see what's going on with the notch. He has this big guy who is still complaining. I say to Richie, what's up? Richie says he was coming back from the store after buying a tuna fish sandwich. I say, Richie, what's up with this guy? He says, take it easy, Scotty, I'm getting to that. So I was coming back from the store after buying a tuna fish sandwich, and I noticed this guy getting out of the Chevy Camaro that was seized by the deli team, and I see him wipe off his fingerprints on the door handle with a rag. The vehicle, while parked on the street, had clearly visible police impound stickers on the windows. No one was allowed to be in that car. I'm like, holy crap, where are these guys coming from? We bring him upstairs and he sees the first guy we brought in from the antique shop. And they glance at one another and pretend like they don't know each other. But the looks on their faces give them away. I say out loud, hey Butch, we got another one. Butch puts him in the interview room and says to me, this is good, we got something going on here. While we are discussing what's going on, I remember the victims from Buffalo are still in the diner. So I walk up there to tell them that they should go get a hotel, that this may take a while before we figure out what's going on. As I walk into the diner, I see the younger of the two men staring out the window and looking very nervous, almost frightened. I say, what's wrong? His father looks at me with a serious, almost angry face, points across the street and says, buy that car, the car that is actually the Chevy Camaro. There was some type of activity going on with some people a few minutes ago, and he was there. I say, 
Who? He says, the guy who wanted to see a watch and then helped rob us. We saw him by that car. I asked to be sure. Are you talking about the guy from Buffalo who was a customer and then helped rob you? Was across the street by that blue Chevy Camaro a few minutes ago? The son is shaking his head yes. And his father says, yes, he was right there. I rush them back to the precinct and put the victims in the community affairs office so that they can be in a different part of the precinct and not accidentally interact with the suspects we also have in the building. As I am running up the stairs to the squad room, I see my old plainclothes partner, Chris Montgomery, also known as Monty, to the cops in the 9th. Chris is in the 9th Precinct robbery unit now, The robbery unit is a subunit of the detective squad, so we frequently work on cases together. I tell Chris and Butch about one of the guys from the robbery in Buffalo being seen on 2nd Avenue a few minutes ago. Butch and Chris run out of the precinct to look for the guy while I go back in the squad to brief the rest of the detectives about what's going on. As I am briefing the rest of the squad, one of the detectives answers a phone that has been ringing for a while and then says, Scotty, do you have a guy named up here? I say, yeah, why? What's up? The detective says, I have his attorney on the phone. He says not to question him, and if you are, to stop right now. I respond, oh yeah? What's the attorney's name? The detective then picks up the phone and says, what's your name? Excuse me? Hello? Hello? He then says out loud to the squad room, I hear someone yelling in the background, police don't move. Put your hands on the wall. A few seconds go by and he says, hello. He again turns and looks at everyone in the squad room and says, that was Monty. They are bringing some guy in. Monty and Butch come walking into the detective squad with an athletic looking guy. They put him in another interview room. Monty tells us what happened. As they round the corner on 2nd Avenue walking north towards 6th Street, they see a guy matching the description the victims gave us talking on a payphone. As he sees them, he drops the phone receiver and starts to walk away quickly. They order him on the wall, pat him for weapons, and walk him back to the 9th Precinct. On the way back, Butch, who has a background in martial arts, feels the male start moving in a way that Butch felt he might be preparing to start fighting. Butch tells Monty to grab his arm and they hold him tighter. Butch tells the male, don't even think about it. And then the man relaxes his posture and walks into the station house with them. We are all in the detective squad and trying to figure out what to do with this Megillah. Butchie Bava takes care of the guy from the antique store and the other guy from the Camaro. I am working on the third male because the victims have ID'd him for the robbery in Buffalo. This guy actually had the gall to phone the squad room and pretend to be the big guy's attorney. He was probably afraid the big guy would start talking and was trying to make sure that didn't happen. After updating the victims, I realized that I'm going to have to do a lineup for the police in Buffalo so I can hold this perpetrator and send him upstate to face the robbery charges. Technically, Buffalo is out of our local court's jurisdiction, but NYPD officers are actually designated police officers in New York State. So I was authorized to arrest this guy for the Buffalo police. They would continue the investigation when he got transported back there. 
The perpetrator is of a different racial background than we usually deal with in the ninth precinct. So now I have to figure out where I can get fillers for the lineup. Fillers in police slang are the other people of similar description of the person arrested you see standing in the lineup holding numbers in front of them. The perpetrator is afforded the position of their choice, numbers one through five or six, and then the fillers are filled in the other positions. I realized that one of the food delivery guys that is at the precinct all the time is of the same race as the perpetrator. So I walk around the corner to the restaurant where he works and explain to the manager what's going on. It was almost closing time, so the manager agrees and brings all the workers, all of whom are of the same race, to the precinct to be fillers. Even the manager agrees to help out and stand in as a filler. We pay the fillers a small fee for their assistance, but I think they also wanted to help because this was an armed robbery case, and unfortunately they have been victims on numerous occasions in similar situations. Both victims view the lineup from behind a one-way mirror and pick out the man who was stopped by Butch and Monty at the payphone earlier. I then pay all the fillers and thank them. I walk the perpetrator into the interview room and tell him I am arresting him for first-degree robbery of the antique store in Buffalo, New York. He says nothing. As I'm walking the perp, police slang for perpetrator, to the fingerprint board, he starts complaining that he hasn't done anything and he has never been in Buffalo, New York in his life. I tell him to empty his pockets when I'm at the fingerprinting station. He then freezes with his hand in his pocket and has an intense look on his face. Fearing that he may have a hidden weapon, I push him forcefully onto the wall and grab his arm and pull it out of his pocket. I then search his pocket, and would you believe, lo and behold, a Buffalo Bills cigarette lighter. I say to him sarcastically, never been to Buffalo, huh? He just puts his head down and again says nothing. Butch, Notch, Monty, and myself, also known as Teddy to the cops in the 9th Precinct, got a few trips to Buffalo to testify at some of the hearings and trials. It wasn't exactly Miami, but it was a change of scenery for a few days. While in Buffalo, or should I say on the way to Buffalo, I made a rookie mistake. I checked my baggage on the plane and had the file with all the reports regarding the lineup and the arrest of the perpetrator. Of course, the airline lost my luggage, and when I arrived at the courtroom, I got a stern talking to by the judge. He explained to me that from now on, officer, you should always carry these files with you. Don't check them. I apologized profusely and said, you're right, judge. The judge then asked me what airline it was. I told him he called the airline directly and ordered the airline to produce the files on his desk by tomorrow morning. They were there the next day and we testified. Since then, I've learned a lot about being a detective. At the time, I was a rookie investigator and I made a mistake. But the judge knew about it, all the papers came back, everything was there, nothing was missing, and I learned a good lesson. Eventually, the perpetrator spent time in jail, but he didn't spend as much time as I had hoped for robbing and terrorizing these hardworking shopkeepers. But it was better than nothing. Sometimes as a detective, you help solve other cases that aren't even your own, and that's fine. We are there to help the victims. Doesn't matter where they are from or who they are. 
The perpetrators in this story may seem like bungling thieves, but believe me, they aren't. They were a violent group of thugs that had committed numerous gunpoint robberies and burglaries in the past and had even shot people. They just got a little sloppy or maybe met their matches with a sharp group of detectives from the NYPD. We should understand that there's a lot of bad people out there and the police are the only thing standing between a civil society and chaos. This has been episode number three of Perpetrator, The Deli and the Antique Shop. And please, once again, if anyone has information regarding the murder of Abe Liebewall in 1996, the owner of the Second Avenue Deli, or the killings of the hotel workers in Westchester in 1995, please call 1-800-577-TIPS. There is a $150,000 reward. <laughs>